Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I was uh, reading a Peanuts cartoon the other day, and in the, the cartoon, Linus and Lucy were looking out the window, and it's just raining and raining and raining. And evidently, it's been raining for a long time, because Lucy responds to Linus, he goes, do you think it's just going to flood the entire world? And Linus said, no, because God promised in Genesis chapter 9 that he would never flood the world again. And then he gave us a rainbow to give us proof that he would never do it again. And Lucy said, well, that takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders. And Linus said, sound doctrine has a way of doing that. Amen. Sound doctrine has a way of doing that. Sound doctrine will help you to stand firm in your faith. It will help you stand firm in in the difficulties that we we face and the trouble in which we find ourselves in this world. It'll help you stand firm. We've been looking at 2 Peter the past several weeks. Uh, We spent some time in in 2 Peter chapter 1 as we looked at the, the foundation of our faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We looked at the confidence that we can have on the Word of God, that we can stand firm because we have a firm Word. We have a foundation on which we can build up on Jesus Christ, and His Word confirms that to us. And then the last couple of weeks, we've been spending time looking at false teachers because in order to know what the real is, sometimes you got to know what the counterfeit is so you know how to, to challenge it. So we've been looking at false teachers and false teaching. We're going to continue that theme today in, in, our, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, as we end 2 Peter chapter 2. And then the next two Sundays, we'll be looking at the second coming of Christ. So you might want to be here for that as we talk about that. But what we're going to discover as we look at this passage today, that it's talking about false teachers and false teaching, but it's also talking about what sin can do in a person's life, how it can entrap you as well. So let's look at 2 Peter 2, 18-22, under the heading, The Danger of False Teachers. This is what the Word of God says. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning." It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Three truths. First, false teachers will entice you. Look at verse 18 again. For they, some of the false teachers, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Peter says that they, they entice you with empty words, words that have no meaning, words that have no substance. One paraphrase of this passage said, they are loud mouths full of hot air. Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? Loud mouths full of hot air. He means they're very wordy. They, 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 are, they are impressive in what they have to say. They have great powers of oratory 
and they will dazzle you with their vocabulary, but there's no substance what they have to say. He says they're empty. They have no meaning. We hear a lot of them on television. Uh, sometimes you, hear, you catch them on the radio. Sometimes you catch them on the radio, and they make boastful claims, but there's really nothing to it. There's no substance what they have to say. But not only are they empty, it gets even more serious. Look at the second part uh, of verse 18. They, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. The word entice means to bait a hook to catch a fish. They, they entice people, they bait them, they trap them, and then they've got them hooked with this teaching that they have. If you know anything about fishing, that's what it's all about. Got to have that attractive lure. You know, you, you've got to try. If you make it attractive enough to them, the fish will see it. Boom, he's got it. He thinks he has the lure, right? But what happens? The lure has him instead, and he's trapped. That's what these false teachers do. They entice, and they trap you, and they hook you, and they catch you in what they're doing. This explains to us the importance of every believer being in a Bible study. You know, I don't get that believers say they, all the Bible says they're going to get is 30 minutes of preaching from Bruce Worley. My goodness, you are hungry, people, if that's all you're going to get. 30 minutes from Bruce Worley. He said, you need to be in Bible study, especially if you are a new believer. If you are a new believer and, and you've just come and you've escaped the corruption of the world and you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be in Bible study where you can learn God's Word, you can study God's Word, you can ask questions of God's Word, and good teachers can tell you the truth and teach you. You've got to be grounded in sound doctrine and need to be involved in Bible study. This is especially true for new believers. But look, we have a responsibility as well. When we lead somebody to Jesus and we lead somebody to Christ, I hope that you do that. When we lead somebody to Christ, we have a responsibility to mentor them, to teach them, to disciple them. Remember what the Great Commission says. Go and make disciples. Now, you know that when Peter, when, when Peter James, and John, and Andrew, and they all heard that, and Jesus told them to make disciples, that Peter would say, okay, I've got John, Andrew, you take James, Simon, you take my thought. That's not what they said. They understood they were supposed to go out and find somebody new and disciple them. So the 12 would become 24. The 24 would become 48. The 48 would become 96. I can't go any higher, okay? Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying. It would be more and more people coming to be Christ, discipling one another. They understood this. This is why it's important that we follow up on these new believers so they won't get hooked and they won't get caught by false teaching. Notice what the false teacher says to the young convert. Look at how he drives me. He appeals to the lustful desires of sinful human nature. That's how they get them. They appeal to their sinful human nature, the lustful desires of sinful nature. Can I tell you something? Did you know that when you come to Jesus, you still have these sinful desires within you? You still have these human tendencies within you. They are strong. They are powerful. And you can still fall into them. It happens all the time. But the false teachers will come along and they'll say something like this. You're saved by grace. You're saved. You're saved. You're going to heaven. So it doesn't matter how you live out there. 
It doesn't matter the way you live your life. It doesn't matter what you do out there. Ignore those preachers that are preaching about sin. Ignore those preachers that are preaching about ethics. Ignore those preachers that are preaching about morality. You can do whatever you want to do because you're saved and you're going to heaven. That's what they say. And they entice you and they pull you away from the principles and the truth of God's Word. They will entice you to sin. So false teachers will entice you. Second, false teachers will enslave you. Look at verse 19. They promised them, these converts, freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. This is the promises of these false teachers. Uh, they begin to make promises when the whole time they're enslaved themselves. They say that now that you are saved, you have freedom. They talk about Christian liberty. That's one of the great doctrines of, of, of our faith is liberty. Well, we're free. We have this Christian liberty. It's one of the, the great doctrines we have in Scripture. When you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are free. You are free from sin. You're free from the entrapments. You are free from the law. You're free. That's what we believe. We do that. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when you come to Jesus, he sets you free. I think that was kind of a trend that we saw in our worship set. Something about freedom. We read the Bible in John 8.32, Jesus said this, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then he says later on in that same chapter, in chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So we, we believe this. We have this. I've got some good news for you. I, want, I just want to take a moment just to share this good news with you. Listen, if you find yourself trapped in sin, if you find yourself trapped in a sinful lifestyle, I want you to know Jesus can set you free. He can set you free from your, from your captivity. He can set you free from sin. All you got to do is come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. I've got good news for you about that. Now, it is possible to, to misunderstand Christian freedom. This is what the false teachers do. They make great promises, uh, but, but they, uh, they, they talk about freedom. Uh, being free means that, that you're free to do as you please. Uh, that's kind of what they say. And they say, so ignore the, the preachers that have a biblical standard of morality. Ignore those preachers that talk about some type of Christian ethics because they're preaching legalism. They're trying to bind you again. They're trying to tie you down to a certain standard. But you see, they misunderstand freedom. Their favorite verse of, the, of, the, of these false teachers is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom... That Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. They love that verse. That is their mantra. This is it. We are free in Christ. Stand firm and don't be burdened again. But they forget verse 13 of the same chapter. Verse 13 says, You, my brothers, will call to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Right there, that's what I call living in the tension. We're free, but at the same time, we can't use our freedom to do whatever we want. So we've got to live somewhere in that balance in there. What, Pete, what Paul is saying in Galatians, he's saying, don't abuse the freedom that you have in Christ to indulge your sinful nature. 
You see, the false teacher says, you are free. Do as you please. Do as you want. They use liberty as an excuse to live however they want to live. But there's a difference between liberty and license. And there's some preachers out there that are preaching license to sin. They're giving you permission to do that. But that's a misunderstanding of liberty. They don't really understand what liberty means, what freedom means. Liberty does not mean that you have freedom to do as you please. Liberty means you have freedom to do as Jesus pleases, as Jesus designed you. When you come to Christ as your Savior, you're also coming to Him as your Lord. That means He rules your life. He gets to set the agenda. He gets to set the priority for your life, and you follow Him, and you surrender to His will and not to your will. Now, this might be a dated illustration, but I see some gray-haired people out there. You're going to get this. Uh, some of you parents will get it. You remember when, you, when you're raising kids, or maybe you're raising kids now, and you have to give them that yucky-tasted medicine? Remember that? They have to hold their nose and make them take it. They say, oh, it's good for you, but it tastes yucky. And, and, you, and you can't. Or try doing it for a dog. Try to give a dog a piece of medicine that's going to help him. You have to wrap it in a piece of cheese, a peanut butter, or something to get it out. It's good for them, but it tastes yucky. So you tell them, said, take this medicine, it'll make you feel better. And they go, no. No. That's the way we are when we ask Christians to follow God's will or submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But it's good for you. No. They want to rebel against it. They don't want to do it. There are a lot of people when they talk about how restrictive the will of God is or how, how, how they have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But listen, listen. When you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He sets you free to be what God designed you to be. Question. Think about a railroad. A railroad track. Think about the cars that go on the railroad track, okay? You got the locomotive and you got all the little cars that go behind it and you got the caboose. When is that locomotive, when is that, tra that train, that uh, boxcar, when is it most free? When you take it off the track and lay it over to the side, is that when it's most free? No. You see, it's most free when it stays on the track for which it was designed. That's when it has the freedom to move. That's when it can go the direction that it's supposed to go because it's following the design of the train track builder, of the train builder. It's the same way with us as Christians. We are most free when we're following the design that God created us for. Stop and think about Psalm 23. Most of you know Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the middle of that, he says, he, David prays. He said, Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Literally, what that says, lead me in the ruts of the path of the righteous. This is what he's saying. That we were talking about this morning out there, then we were talking about old oh, westerners used to come on TV. Oh, gun smoke, wagon train. We got to talk about the wagon train. You know how the wagon trains got from the east to the west? They followed the path of the other trains. Uh, they knew that they would do that. Why? Because it was safe. There was a road there. So they kept going down there and they would get their, their wagons in the ruts of the wagons before them. So David is saying, Lord, I want you to lead me in the past where others have walked before me so I can stay righteous. That's when we're most free, when we're following the path 
that God has laid out, that God has planned for us. But the false teacher promises liberty, which is really bondage. Look at verse 19, what he says. He says, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. He said, what controls you turns you into slave. Think about yourself. What controls you? What is it that you have to have? What does it dictate your life? Listen, it could be something good, but if it takes you out of God's will, it's wrong. It's wrong. It is a sin to be good when God expects you to be great. Remember what I said? It's a great commission. It's a great commandment. Not a good one. Not a good commission. Not a good commandment. No, it's a great commission, and it's a great commandment. And I believe this about the church. It is a sin for our church to be good when God expects us to be great. I believe that. What is it in your individual life that's keeping you a slave? What is it in your individual life? Think on that. You got to understand what Christian liberty is, and you got to understand what bondage is. Jesus said, I have set you free. Don't let anyone tell you that you are free to do whatever you want. That's false teaching and a false teacher. You are do as God pleases, not as you please. So the false teachers will enslave you. They will entice you. Finally, the false teachers will entangle you. Look at verses 20 through 21. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. The word entangle in the middle of that passage means to weave into. It's a word that was used of weavers who would weave a piece of fabric. They'd weave into, they become entangled and they weave something in. In this situation, they're weaving these sinful desires into their life. Now, this is a controversial passage. When I began to originally write all my notes, I read all the, I, you know, I look at the scripture, I look at it, you know, I analyze a little bit, I write my notes down, I read some commentaries, pull all my thoughts together. When I began looking at this passage, I had two and a half pages just on that one verse. And I said, well, that ain't going to preach. Because two and a half pages is about 15 to 18 minutes of preaching. I've already preached 15 to 18 minutes. So aren't you glad I've reduced it to about three minutes? I heard that, Brother Eugene. <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to give you the whole two and a half pages. <laughs> no. Let, let me kind of walk you through it very carefully. And, and I think if you see it, you'll understand the context uh, of what's... Uh, notice that phrase, if they escaped the corruption. Here's what he's talking. He's talking about church folks. He's talking about people that have joined the church, may have been baptized. Uh, they emulate the culture around them. They emulate other believers, they have reformed themselves outwardly, they look like followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, verse 20, he says they even know Jesus. This brings us to that interesting thing that we've talked about several times. There's two types of knowledge. You have what we call intellectual knowledge, like 
Alexa, what is this? Or you search Google. You know, informational knowledge, intellectual knowledge, and then you have experiential knowledge. Okay? I know a lot about Hawaii because I watch Hawaii Five O. <laughs> or I read books about Hawaii. I had friends in Hawaii, but I don't really know Hawaii because I've never been to Hawaii. I have intellectual knowledge of Hawaii, but I do not have experiential knowledge of Hawaii. You see, you can know about Jesus, but you may not know Jesus. We call it head knowledge and heart knowledge. You believe, you receive something in your head, but you believe it in your heart. That's when you embrace it and say, I really believe this truth. Therefore, I'm going to live by this truth. Peter says people who, these are people who give the outward appearance of being saved. But then they become entangled in the corruption of the world. And then Peter says, his word's not mine. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. They become entangled again. That word entangled is an interesting word. It comes from the form of the gladiator. When the gladiator would go to battle, and he had many tools, many weapons he could use. He could use a sword, a spear, or whatever else he had. But one of the weapons they had was what they called a net. And he'd take that net and he would cast it over his victim and he would ensnare the victim. Then he could kill him with his fork or his sword, whatever it was. I know it's not a fork, it's a triton's fork, okay? Not a, not a little fork you eat with. Well, some of us are killing ourselves with the fork, you know. Uh, he would ensnare them, so they would become entangled in this net. That's the word he's talking about. These false teachers cast their net out there, and then they entangle you, and they trap you so you cannot escape. This is what he's talking about in that passage. These are individuals who they reform for a while, and they look good. They may even act good in many ways. But then they go back to the sinful lifestyle, and they find they're entangled in it, and they can't get themselves out of it. Hear me. Hear me on this. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Matter of fact, profession of faith does not prove possession of faith. Let me be more specific. Not everybody that's a member of Western Heights Baptist Church is saved. You're looking around, who is it? Who is it? Not everybody that walks down the aisle and says, I want to be saved, is saved. So, how do we know? How do we know? Time will tell. Time will tell who the real ones are and who the fake ones have are. See, profession of faith doesn't prove possession of faith, but perseverance in the faith proves profession of the faith. The Bible teaches this. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, in verse uh, 18, he's talking about the antichrists that are amongst the church and then they leave the church. He's talking about those who are false Christians, fake Christians. And then he says this in chapter, uh, in uh, 1 John 1, chapter 2 and 19, he says this, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged 
to us. God's Word, not mine. I'm just reporting it. That's all I'm doing. These are people who are on the rolls of the church, but they're living out in the world in sin. They become entangled. We have people in all churches, but we'll just talk about this. We have people that haven't been to this church in 35 years, but they're called a church and say, don't take me off that roll. Well, are you going anywhere? No, no, but I want to be on the roll. As if being on the roll of the church puts them on the roll up yonder. So they, they called and they said, said uh, uh, don't take me off the roll. And my secretary says, what do we do? I said, take them off the roll. Take them off the roll. Having your name on the roll of a church doesn't guarantee you're going to get to heaven. Matter of fact, there is no salvation in the church. There's only salvation in Jesus, as Marcy has told us. There's only salvation in Jesus. But I'm meddling in your life, I know. I know. These are people who are living in sin. They claim to be saved. They've reformed outwardly, but they haven't changed inwardly. Now, before you get upset with me, before you get mad at the preacher, and all preachers saying, if you sin, you must be lewd your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. Look at verse 21 again. Look at the, the middle of the phrase. He said, have known it and then to turn their backs. That's the key. Turn their backs. This is not talking about an individual who casually walks away. This is talking about an individual who deliberately turns his back on the truth and walks away from it, purposely living in a sinful life. They made a conscientious decision to do this. And then Peter says, it's hard for those people that have turned away to come back. It's hard for them to, to, to be saved. Why? He said, matter of fact, they're worse off now than they were before. Why is that? Let me tell you why. They know the gospel. They know what it says. They choose their sin, but they think they're saved. So because they think they're saved, they see no reason to respond to the gospel. And it's hard for those people to be saved. You know who they are. But they think they're saved. I went to vacation Bible school and I was saved when I was seven years old. I'm 77 now, but I'm okay. And they've never been in church their entire life. They've never followed Jesus their entire life. Time will tell. Time will tell. Now Peter gives two graphic illustrations to prove this in verse 22. Look at what he says. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. You know what? By the way, Christians are never called dogs and hogs. Never. Never use that. Here's what he's saying. And you know what's true? If you have a dog, you know, a dog will throw up. And, oh, it sounds disgusting. And then they go right back over there and eat up the very thing they threw up. A dog returns to its vomit. It's true. What's the other one? A, ha a hog, a sow, a hog. A hog will go up there and you wash that hog up, take it to the state fair so it looks really pretty, put a little lipstick on it, you know. Make it look really, really pretty on the outside. The minute it gets a chance, it goes right back to the mud sty. Why is that? Because it's a hog. That's what it does. Peter is saying, you can change on the outside, 
But if there's no change on the inside, you are who you are. A sinner will return to his sin. This is what he's saying about these individuals. Listen, moral reformation, church membership, as good as those things are, they are not good unless there's been a change in your heart. That's the only thing that makes a difference. You see, that's the difference between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. But here's the good news. Jesus can take a dog and Jesus can take a hog and He can turn them into sheep. He can take what you were and turn you into what you can be by His grace and by His power to transform your life. Jesus will clean you up on the inside and then He'll help to clean you up on the outside. But see, it doesn't work the other way. Jesus never tells you, go get your life straightened out, then come to me. Jesus says, come just as you are, without one plea, but that His blood was shed for me. Jesus said, you come to me by faith, and you come to me and you believe that I can clean you up. I'll save you on the inside, and then together we can work to clean you up on the outside. For some of you, you need that message today. You're tired of being a dog and you're tired of being a hog. He said, I want to be a sheep. I want to be a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for you. But you got to come through Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Give you an opportunity to respond to what you heard. Maybe for some of you, for the very first time in your life, said, you know what, Pastor? I need Jesus as my Savior. I've been living a sham of a life. I've been counting on church attendance to save me when I realize I need Jesus to save me. We can tell you how to do that. For some of you, may I need a church home. I need a place that I can come. I can invest my life in ministry and being ministered to, but more importantly, of sharing the gospel with those who need to hear. There's a lot of good churches in Waco. I can only vouch for this one. There's a lot of good churches in Waco. And there's a lot of big churches. If you want to go and sit and occupy space, that's great. But if you want to come and, and try to make a difference and impact eternity, we'd love to have you partner with us to make a difference in our community. We'd love to have you here. But regardless, I want you to know that God loves you and He gave His life so that you might have life to the fullest. So the praise team is going to come and lead us. I'm going to be here at the front. Marcy's going to come down. She'll be here as well. If you want to pray with Marcy or talk with Marcy, or you want to pray or talk with me, we'll be here for you just to give you an opportunity. Would you stand as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this time that we can get together and we can study your word. We can praise your name. We can pray. We can offer up our offerings, Father. We can encourage one another. We can be encouraged by one another. Father, for an opportunity for us to be family, and Father, do life together in the good times and the bad times. So Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts during this invitation time, God. Communicate to us, Father, what it is you'd have for us individually, Father, what it is you'd have for us to do. More importantly, Father, who you'd have us to be as children of God.
pray, Father, you touch hearts this morning. Convict them, Father. Challenge them. Father, change them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his honor.